The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I played a couple of them at Rock, Paper, Scissors, right? That was as easy as that. Rock, Paper, Scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. I'm competitive. I'm going to be talking trash to them. Did you talk trash back to me? Oh, we're, we're talking trash back to you, Nick Sirianni, but not in the way that you envisioned. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> I, I don't know how competitive rock, paper, scissors is. I guess it is. I don't know. Certain things are conducive to competition. The idea of just randomly cranking out scissors, paper, paper, or rock, to me, there's other things that would require competitive juices. I, but, hey, whatever it takes to assess these prospects. We have now gone full circle from all the technology, analytics, everything they do to get inside of a player's brain. We are back to the basics, rock, paper, scissors. How competitive are you? If you're competitive enough, I guess you are the right kind of candidate, Shereen, for the Philadelphia Eagles. That may explain some things about where the team currently is. Good afternoon. How are you? <laughs> yes, it's certainly my uh, might, Mike. I would like to see him play a game of horse, right? I, I think that gets pretty competitive if they can get those 30 visits back and you have players come in and play a game of horse, and that could get pretty competitive with some trash talk, something like that. Yeah, I don't know that rock, paper, scissors is very competitive. Every time this topic comes up where it is viewed as a desirable thing for football players to be ultra-competitive about anything and everything, it reminds me of a dichotomy we spoke about earlier this week on PFT Live. In an adult, we view obsession with competition as a desirable and admirable quality. In a child, it is an objectionable quality out of which we can't wait for them to grow. I don't understand the disconnect. We should be happy when little Jimmy is a punk pain in the ass about every game that he plays and he has to win everything. Instead of rolling our eyes, we should be Clapping our hands, little Jimmy on his way to becoming a professional athlete because he always has to win at Connect Four. All right, <laughs> we're we're. I, am I wrong to to, that to sense that? Am I wrong though? I, I was kind of that way too, but but I, I and I guess I still am a little bit. But I remember it being viewed by the adults as not an admirable trait in a child. Quit being that way. You yeah. don't have to win at everything. Play fair, right? And I never did play fair. My mom, even at Easter, you know, I'd get all the Easter eggs. My mom's like, let your sister have some Easter eggs. Why? They're mine. I found them. Why do I have to give her some of my Easter eggs? I don't get it. We're learning a lot about Shereen Williams on today's edition of PFT. Uh, PFTP. I mean, every, I mean, everybody already assumed I was a jerk. We're learning plenty. We're getting a window into the childhood. I kind of like it. I'd like to spend the whole hour delving down that rabbit hole, looking for Easter eggs and more. But we have to talk about NFL issues. Today was the day where we find out which rules pass, which rules don't, which ones are tabled, which usually means that we're never going to hear from them again. But, so, but sometimes, sometimes they resurface. One of the things that passed that, as of earlier this week, Peter King said he wasn't so sure it would. This half measure for 
incorporating video technology into getting calls right. I'm a firm believer in booth umpire. I've been for years an advocate of adding a member to the officiating crew in black and white stripes, sitting in the booth, seeing everything we see at home and talking to the officials about any and all mistakes they make, just like and with the same powers of someone who's on the, the on-field crew. What the NFL has approved today, Shereen, is enhancement to the replay assistance functions. And specifically, the replay assistant will advise the on-field officials on, quote, specific objective aspects of a play when clear and obvious video evidence is present or to address game administration issues. Now, this means catching pass, feet inbounds, objective things. Not, hey, the guy from the Rams just blew up the guy from the Saints and it was pass interference and you didn't throw a flag, you better throw a flag. That's what I'd like to have them able to do under this expansion of the replay assistance function, Shireen, that still is not fixable. Well, you know, Peter wrote in his column that the reason it might not pass is there was a lot of confusion about exactly how much leeway the replay assistant was going to have. And I'm still confused about it, how much power this person is going to have. They're not part of the crew, so are they going to feel comfortable calling down or doing whatever they do? And how much are they going to do that? And is it going to vary stadium by stadium, which I guarantee you it is, where if you have the the booth umpire as a part, the sky judge as part of that team, they're going to do that. Now, I talked to Troy Vincent two years ago when this first came up, Mike, and we were proponents of it and still are. I talked to Troy Vincent a long time about it after the competition committee meeting. And the two things he said that the reason that officials don't like it or the the competition committee hasn't pushed for it, one reason is who are those replay officials? Like, how do you go out and find them? Everybody wants to be an on-field official. So do you get retired officials? That's probably the route you go. Are there enough of those guys to do that, to join all those crews? So there was a concern about exactly who those sky judges were going to be. And then the second thing was, they're now part of the crew, and how comfortable are they going to be overturning the guy on the field, but or female on the field, whoever it is, the official on the field. But, hey, don't make mistakes on the field. That's what that person is there to do to correct it. I mean, let's get it right, and if you err, let's get that fixed. If I make an error, I want you to tell me, hey, you made an error, and I fixed this. Let's get it right. Let's not worry about who's making the correct call. Let's just get the call right, Mike. Well, and I still think the referee would be in charge and have final say. I don't think you give ultimate authority over the on-field officiating to the booth umpire or sky judge, whatever rule that you would apply. It's just the benefit of the perspective that millions at home have. That continues to be a disconnect that must be addressed by the NFL. You've got seven people who see it one way, and you've got millions who see it another way. Those people at home are the ones who are reacting to these calls. So if you have someone with a thorough knowledge of the rules, with the authority to speak directly to the referee, just like when we see them on the field caucusing all the time, we see groups of officials together and they're talking about this and they work it out just like that image right there. They're working it out. They're talking about it before they make a decision. The booth umpire, sky judge, talks to all of them or could push the button like the producers do with us. You decide who you're going to talk to. Talk to the referee. Talk to everyone at once. Talk to the field judge. You can hit the button and talk to that person and only that person if you need to. But there's a way to do it that doesn't undermine the authority of the referee. There's a way to do it 
that takes advantage of the skills, the knowledge, the abilities of some older referees, on-field officials who no longer are physically able to do it but still want to be involved, like an Ed Hockley. And, Shereen, I I hate to say it, but I, I, if, I, if I really hated to say it, I wouldn't say it. I'm going to say it. It's about money at some level. It's about money. They don't want to pay. They don't see the incremental benefit for the money that they put into having 17 additional employees who would be paid officiating salary, part of the union. Now we got to deal with this. It's going to cost us more money. How much better are things going to be for the extra money that we put in when we can just instead lump additional duties onto the replay assistant? They're already there. They're already getting paid. And and I heard from somebody who who knows very well the inner workings of the officiating department. The replay assistant's already got enough to do. This isn't going to help that person do their job better. And that confusion about replay assistant versus the command center, you know, there's already some authority that Al Riveron or his designee has over administrative issues. Where does the line get drawn between what the replay assistant does and what they do in the league office? What if the replay assistant's getting it wrong? When does the league office get involved? I I just, I don't like this because it still creates the opportunity for a debacle. And eventually, the next debacle, there's going to be one. The next one, whichever one it is, there's going to be one that results in millions of dollars changing hands via legally wagered bets. It's going to get politicians up in arms. It's going to get a criminal prosecution launched. Is someone correct? You don't need any of that. If you take care of your own backyard, if you make sure these things don't happen, if you make sure these problems don't arise in an era where there are 30, 35, 40 states with legalized gambling and we're heading that way, you don't have that blowback. That's what they need to be worried about. And I'm stunned they're not more concerned about that. If they were, we'd have a booth umpire. And you know what, Mike? They didn't learn their lesson. They had an opportunity to do that. The 2018, as we know, NFC Championship game ended as it should not have ended. They didn't get the call right. They didn't throw a flag on obvious pass interference. That didn't happen. And you would think they would have done something at that point to fix it. So what did they do? They put in, oh, we'll review pass interference for a year. And they did that, and that went away. And everybody seems to have forgotten What happened, anybody outside of New Orleans anyway, seems to have forgotten what happened in that game. They got it wrong, Mike. The Saints probably would have gone on to the Super Bowl. They didn't get to go because of that call. And I just think that it's time that the NFL fixes this before this happens in a Super Bowl when there is an even bigger uproar than there was in that game, Mike. And it wasn't just something that they tried and decided we don't like it. It was a disaster when they made pass interference calls and non-calls, offensive and defense subject to replay review because it was poorly implemented. It, it, the, I never felt like they had a cohesive set of rules as to how specific and particular the scrutiny applied by Al Riveron was going to be. And I remember when we started to hear about how he was interpreting past plays and how those plays would have been changed if replay review was available. And he was being very technical, very specific, looking for clear and obvious evidence of impairment of the opportunity of the defensive player or the offensive player to make that play on the ball. And it was like, oh my gosh, that's that. No, that's not what this should be for. This should be for the truly egregious know it when you see it called it's missed. So now I think they've gone the other way. And what they've decided, Shireen, is what I feared they were going to decide in the aftermath of the Rams Saints debacle. By the time it happens again, I'll be gone. 
I think that's the attitude each individual in this has. It's not going to happen again anytime soon. And I'm willing to roll the dice that this is a mess that I won't personally have to deal with. Someone else, years from now, hopefully decades from now, will be the one that has to deal with that mess. We'll let them clean it up. We're just going to assume that what happened to the Rams-Saints game is a a once-in-a-hundred-year problem that by the time it happens again, we'll all be dead. I, I, just, I feel like that's the attitude that finally was adopted by the competition committee and ownership generally. Let somebody else deal with this problem because we don't want to spend the money to do it right. We don't feel compelled to do it right because we're not going to get stung again. The odds are we're not going to have this problem anytime soon. Yeah, frankly, Mike, all they're worried about is the postseason games, right? If it happens in the regular season, yeah, it's an uproar, big deal. It's it's one game, it's a regular season game, you throw that out the door, not a big deal. So they need it not to happen in the postseason, and you're right. They're just rolling the dice now that it's not going to happen, that it, eventually when it does happen, they're long gone. And they may be right. We may not see this for another 10 years or 20 years or whatever, but they are rolling the dice that this could happen and there could be a bad call that's not fixable in a Super Bowl. I think a primetime regular season game with a big audience could be a problem. I think if that it's tucked be. into the 1 yeah. o'clock Eastern games, it goes unnoticed. The, the horrendous phantom roughing the passer call against the Lions in the Vikings game week 17 last that's year. Right. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. It was It was – horrendous and if it happened in a game that anybody actually cared about it would have been a major 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 uproar Uh, I'll say this I believe in following the rules as written because otherwise why have the rules but I also believe that Al Riveron or someone else should have on the wall the emergency break glass that they can use (laughs) when absolutely necessary to fix what what obviously will be a major controversy the next day and beyond and I've said this before if all Al Riveron had done in that Ram Saints game is buzzed in and said drop a flag wait what what do you mean just trust me we're all going to be better off if you drop a flag call defensive pass interference you can thank me later he was too rigid in following the rules you know one of the best things about knowing the rules is knowing when to break the rules and if he had done that (laughs) <laughs> we wouldn't need we wouldn't be we wouldn't be having a discussion about replay assistant or yeah. sky judge or booth umpire there wouldn't have been a year where there was this shifting bizarre standard as to what pass interference on replay review was or wasn't so maybe maybe now between the replay assistant and the league office being involved and having a voice maybe what this means is that if there is another ram saints horrendous non-call Somebody will say something to someone and it'll get fixed in a way that doesn't technically comply with the rules, but that avoids the disaster. I I root for that outcome if it ever comes to that. And of course, we'll never know and we shouldn't know. I'm fine with it as long as they avoid that debacle. Yeah, and the thing is, Mike, if they had dropped that flag, even if they drop it late in the Rams-Saints game... The Rams are not going to have an argument with that other than, hey, that was a really late flag. Yeah, it was a late flag, but you know what? It was the right call. So they're not going to have much of an argument. And you're right. There is a time to break the rules. That was it. They didn't do it. And now we're still here trying to fix this problem from three years ago, trying to figure out how not to let that happen again. And this is a half-baked idea that they've come up with to, to try to fix that problem. And, and maybe next time they'll throw the flag. Maybe they'll do that. Let's hope.
I guarantee you if it had come out in the aftermath of that game that they had violated protocol to have the league office, Al Riveron, contact the referee and say drop a flag, if that had come out, it wouldn't have been a big what – would, what would the Rams have done? Would they have, would they have boycotted watching right. the Super Bowl in L.A. the way they boycotted New Orleans? No, because <laughs> they got away with something they shouldn't have gotten away with. How can you be upset about it if the rules get fudged in a way to keep you from getting an unfair outcome? So I agree with you, and hopefully that's what will happen the next time. The next time there's an onside kick in an NFL game, there will be a better chance of the kicking team recovering. In lieu of enacting that 4th and 15 proposal that I frankly love, I think they should use the 4th and 15 play for all kickoffs. What they're doing is limiting the number of players on the receiving team that can be in that setup zone between 10 and 25 yards from the spot where the ball is kicked. The maximum is now 9. Usually you've got 10 or 11 defensive players, so it's a numbers game. One or two fewer bodies, maximum of 9, trying to receive it. Maybe there's a better chance that the kicking team will recover because of the configuration changes that have been made in an effort to reduce injuries during regular kickoff plays and onside kickoff plays. I mean, the onside kickoff in the old days was a car crash galore. It was 11 guys crashing into 11 guys and somebody trying to get their hands on the football. So, Shireen, I don't know how it's going to work. They want the kicking team. They want the team that's trailing to have a better chance to get back into the game. They're going to try this. And my guess is if we don't see a noticeable increase in the opportunity for the team that's kicking that onside kick to recover the ball, that's when 4th and 15 becomes a viable option. I'm still surprised they haven't adopted it because I I talked to somebody several months ago who thought that 4th and 15 was going to make it. And this may be the last-ditch alternative before 4th and 15 becomes a reality. I'm not surprised, Mike. These owners are so conservative. Like, they see that as an XFL play. We're not putting that in our game, you know. I'll be surprised if 4th and 15 ever passes. I think it would be fun. I think it would be great. I would love to see it. I don't know that it ever passes. We'll see what happens with this, if the percentages go up. So, since they've done away with the running start on kickoffs, in 2019, there were 63 onside kicks. Eight were recovered. Last season, 27 onside kicks. Three were recovered. And you remember that Dallas-Atlanta game? They had the, the watermelon kick, and the Cowboys recovered and came back. It was an exciting game. Unless you're a Falcons game, a Falcons fan, it was an exciting game, a great finish. If the Cowboys hadn't gotten that onside kick, they had no chance to win that game, to come back. And I think that's what we all like seeing. Unless it's your team that's being come back on, you love seeing those comebacks. You love it come down to the wire, to the team that's trailing to have a chance to win and, and give them a chance to get those onside kicks. And I do think this will help those percentages go up. We'll see as the year goes on. If there's more than that uh, next year, then I think we stay with this in coming years. If it doesn't, maybe they do consider the fourth and 15, and we do go to that, which, again, I would love to see it, Mike. I think it would be an exciting play in football, you can only do it probably a certain number of times, maybe just once a game, but it would be so exciting to to see that play uh, in the league in lieu of the onside kick. Roger Goodell was asked several years ago which team he roots for. He said the team that's trailing. The NFL wants those exciting yeah. games. We saw a lot of double-digit comebacks last year, I think, because stadiums were empty. Whether you're trailing or whether you're ahead and you're if you're whether you're the visiting team and you don't have to worry about the crowd noise or you're the home team, you don't have to worry about the booing that ensues. We saw a lot of those swings, and the NFL loves that when the team that's down 14, 21, however many points has a chance to come back. 
Single digits will be uh, in high demand in NFL locker rooms now that the proposal, which kind of came out of the blue a few weeks ago from the Kansas City Chiefs, passed easily, as Peter King suggested it would. Running backs, receivers, tight ends, linebackers, defensive backs, all can now wear single-digit numbers. The caveat that we posted today, though, if there's already an inventory of your current number and you want to change now, you got to pay for that unsold inventory of jerseys. We'll see how badly some of these guys want it. Adrian Peterson wanted to change his number a few years back, and he found out what it was going to cost to do it. And he said, I'll just I'll stick, with, I'll stick with the number I have. Thank you very much. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But beyond that, there's going to be maybe rock, paper, scissors. There's going to be all sorts of competition within locker rooms to see who gets those single-digit numbers because there's going to be a lot of guys who want them. There's going to be guys who want to take them from punters and kickers. There's going to be guys who maybe want to take them from backup quarterbacks. That part of it's going to be fun to see play out, Shireen. Yeah, and players coming into the league, Mike, they'll now have a chance to select those numbers, especially, you know, we know number two is going to be very popular with the Rams. A couple guys have already said they want number two, so maybe they'll have rock, paper, scissors to determine who gets number two and uh, with the Rams. But, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing you wrote about, though, having to buy that inventory and how many of those jerseys are left. But, Mike, what happens to those jerseys? Do the player then get those jerseys and get to sell them himself or give them out, or how does that work? I assume if I paid for them, I'm getting them. And you're right. If I want to autograph them and sell them, I'll sell them. I'll do whatever I want with them. But if I got to pay for them, I want them. Give me them, even though they're not nearly as valuable as the jerseys that have the guy's current number. You know, another wrinkle to this, too, a topic we talked about several weeks back when J.J. Watt joined the Arizona Cardinals, what happens if there's a star player who wants to wear a single-digit number that just so happens to be retired by the team that that player plays for we know about retired jersey numbers they're retired until they're not and that is something and actually i have an idea now hopefully i'll remember to do it later tonight i'm going to go back through and find all the retired single digit numbers for each team and say hey we 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 may we may see retired jerseys get unretired if the former player or his family members say we give you our blessing to wear the jersey that supposedly was never going to be worn again taunting a point of emphasis this season this seems to happen every few years. They don't want fights to happen, so they'll they'll get strict about taunting, whether you spike the ball at the feet of an opponent or spin the ball or direct something to you know a, an opponent, the throwing up of the deuces, even though Tyree Kill seems to get away with that a lot. He has been fined for it. They're trying to avoid any type of altercations on the field. I get it. My concern is unless and until they are truly consistent in calling that foul, giving up 15 yards of field position is a lot. And you better be, this this would be a perfect thing for the booth umpire to do. Because when you're down in the fray, you may not notice it. And I think some guys are going to get away with it and it's going to be inconsistent and I'd rather not see it. Yeah, well, we go back to the Super Bowl, right? Antoine Winfield got uh, penalized 15 yards. Now, the game was out of hand. The Bucks were going to win that game, but he threw up to the, the deuces to Tyreek Hill. The reason he did that was you go back to the regular season game, Tyreek Hill did that to him on one of his touchdowns, one of his three first-quarter touchdowns, and he didn't get fined for it, didn't get penalized for it. So that was my question. Why wasn't Tyreek Hill penalized are, are fine for this, and you go to the Super Bowl, and it happens, and of course, it's from a lot, a lot more people are watching the game and see it and, and respond to it. But 
Yeah, they need to be consistent. However they do it, let them all get away with it or, or penalize them all. But, yes, it's, it's going to be, Mike, I think some inconsistency in this uh, because there are going to be some things that you just don't see as an official trying to see, okay, did he get across the goal line? Oh, wait, I didn't see him put up the, the peace sign to the player behind him or whatever the case may be. But I do think we're going to see some inconsistency with this. Two quick points. First, I think one of the reasons there's inconsistency is when you've got seven officials on the field and typically multiple who are in position to maybe make that call, there's a reluctance to be what Marv Levy would call the over-officious jerk, the embodiment and personification of the no-fun league. Because, well, what's the big deal? And, and that's the other thing, too. What's the big deal? I get this concern well. And it used to be the, the reason for not allowing the celebrations that the league re-embraced several years back well, we don't want someone doing something that's going to make somebody else upset and maybe get them to fight. They're pushing and shoving and hitting each other every single play. If that doesn't piss them off to the point where they're going to fight after the play, <laughs> whether or not a guy dances into the end zone or throws up the deuces or spikes the football in the guy's face, that shouldn't make it any worse. It, 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 if anything, they should be more upset about getting blown up at the line of scrimmage and getting knocked on their butt than what may happen after the play ends. So I, I just, I, I don't I don't like it. I think there should be a certain amount of it. I think these guys should be trusted to be sufficiently mature to walk away. And if they do take a swing, send them to the locker room. That's the best deterrent for that. All right, last one real quickly. The proposal to delay head coaching and GM searches has been tabled for further discussion. The Bills proposed delaying the start of interviews until after the conference championship and no hires until after the Super Bowl. There's no good reason to not do this, and I think the teams looking for coaches would benefit from being forced to wait. For whatever reason, the NFL wants to have that open season right after the regular season ends where the teams that stink can go out and begin interviewing assistants from the teams that are still playing, creating unavoidable distractions for guys who are trying to finish the job they have while they're focused on the job they want. And it's impossible for any human being to compartmentalize those two when you're in a busy playoff week. It's just impossible. And that becomes, whether you're going to get that job, that becomes your bigger priority than getting things ready for your team's playoff game. And and th- I, th- there's nothing wrong with that. That's just natural. As someone explained it to me back during this year's hiring cycle, when the guy comes home from work and his spouse asks him about his day, He's not going to be asked, how'd the game plan go for this week's playoff game? He's going to be asked, what have you heard about that job we may be getting and that place we may be moving to and that promotion that you may be getting? That's normal. That's natural. And that creates that inherent conflict, Shireen. And they need to set up a situation where that conflict isn't there for the guys who need to do the jobs they currently have. Well, and the other thing, Mike, is this year we saw no coaches beyond the divisional round get hired, right? I think that's hurt Eric Bieniemy over the last two years. And the Bucks really benefited from this because you think about what their coaches did in the postseason. They would have been down at least one coordinator and maybe two after what they did in the postseason. Both of those guys might have gotten head coaching jobs and we might have a couple of other minority coaches in in the league, if not Eric Bieniemy as well. So I think think that's hurt him so I think it will help those coaches whose teams year after year after year are making the championship game and making Super Bowls guys from that Patriots staff who who over a 20-year span were always going that far Mike I, I think they were hurt by this so that should help them too 
All right, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Plenty of stuff there that was discussed, even though there wasn't a lot of action in rules being passed. More action necessary. Hopefully the NFL will make the tweaks that we have suggested at some point before they have an even bigger problem. Some quarterback and draft news we will discuss when this Wednesday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Communication has been great. You know, um, you know he's he's been around. as you know working hard. I know he's been working with the receivers. Um, you know he's 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 a very competitive kid, as you know. And I think, you know, coming off the injury last year with you know no no OTAs, you know no mini camp, you know, and being you know, just thrown in right away. That's a hard transition. Um, you know, especially coming through the rehab part of it, he was doing so. You know, he's healthy now. Um, you know, I've seen a couple of videos. I'm not on social media very much, and uh, he's been working very hard. I know our guys have been around that have popped in and out here. Um, through stuff said he's been great with the players, and, and the receivers have been working. So, um, like I said, it's he's going to take the next step. You know, the kid's been a winner everywhere he's been, and um, really excited for him, especially to have an off season under his belt. And I think that'll be really important for him. Chris Greer, Dolphins GM, has done a great job moving around the draft board in recent years, talking about last year's number five overall pick, Tua Tonga Vailoa. Disappointing in comparison to Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Burrow, of course, first overall last year. Herbert, one pick after Tua on the board. Dolphins could have had him. Tua benched a couple of times for relief pitcher Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. All in all, he had his moments, but it felt like something was missing and the pressure's on Tua this year to take it to the proverbial next level. And, you know, this isn't like it was back when we were growing up, Shereen, where you had three, four, five years to figure it out. Sure. They expect guys to figure out the quarterback position quickly or they start thinking about someone else to the point where we thought maybe the Dolphins would use the third overall pick on a quarterback. Once they traded out of that spot, it became obvious they wouldn't. But, you know, there's st- one thing that we just assume isn't going to happen is the Dolphins taking a quarterback at six – Who's to say they won't? 
Who's to say they won't? There could still be Trey Lance and Justin Fields sitting there. And uh, uh, if, if they're thinking about it, they got the ultimate cover because no one sees it coming if they are plotting something like that eight days from now. Yeah, and they've just now become sold on Tua all of a sudden, Mike, because you think back earlier in the offseason, before Deshaun Watson's accusers came forward, who were we talking about that Deshaun Watson might go to? It was Miami Dolphins. They had interest in acquiring Deshaun Watson, and who's to say that they won't whenever he gets his cases settled or whatever, however it's going to work out. They go away, and and he's going to be traded somewhere. Who's to say the Dolphins aren't going to get in on that? Or Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson at some point. So Tua does have a certain amount of time to get it done and not as long as quarterbacks in the past had. This is his team. It's his team now, this year. Uh, and But he's got to show that, that he's the guy, right? He's not going to have much more time beyond that. They're going to put players around him. And he's going to have to take this team to the playoffs this season. Went 6-3 and three last year, 11 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. He's got to take that next step that they now think he can take, but he's got to do it. He's just not going to have much more time. Hey, if today's standards applied in the early 70s, Terry Bradshaw would have been the most popular bartender in Shreveport, Louisiana, because he never would have lasted in the NFL. Never. Never, ever. Right. It took him too long to figure it out. He'd have been gone. And that's the reality in today's NFL. You got to figure it out quickly, especially when the guy drafted before you and after you last year came in and looked great yeah. right out of the gate. So we'll see how that plays out. Here is Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni. When he wasn't talking about rock, paper, scissors today, he was talking about a quarterback competition between Jalen Hurts, Joe Flacco, and maybe whoever else they add to the roster. Here's Sirianni. To name any starters at this particular time, I just we've been working with these guys for two days. Right. We've been working with these guys for two days. My biggest thing is competition. It's again, we've talked a little bit about my core values. It's my second core value. It's this team's second core value. Competition's a huge thing. Um, and we're going to have competition at every position. And look, I got no problem with what he said. I'm not going to I'm not going to pounce on him just to pounce on him. Jalen Hurts is actually making less money this year than Joe Flacco. Not that in this context that matters because Jalen Hurts is limited in what he can make this year by the rookie wage scale and the contract he signed last year as a second-round pick. But let him go hammer it out. See who the best guy is. Because why would you want to anoint one guy and then you get into a problem if that guy, for whatever reason, struggles and the other guy's better, then you got yourself an issue that you got to deal with. And the Eagles already have enough issues. So I like the idea of keeping it wide open. And let's go see who earns it. Let's 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 make it work. And, and hey, here's another reason to say I want competition at every position. With with all these teams, players saying they're not going to show up for the offseason program. What better way to lure guys in than to say we want competition at every position? You're going to make some of those guys more likely to show up because it's easier to compete if your competition's sitting at home, Shereen. You know what the first thing I thought was, Mike? I wondered if he had lost a game of rock, paper, scissors to Sirianni, and Sirianni <laughs> thought he's not competitive enough. <laughs> I do think uh, he is going to have competition. I do think there's a chance the Eagles draft a quarterback uh, at some point in the first couple rounds. I don't think Joe Flacco is, is a threat to him. If he is, then you know Jalen Hurts probably doesn't need to be a starter in the NFL. That's probably not going to happen. But you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Drew Locke this time a year ago because we saw Drew Locke playing five games at last in twenty in his rookie season. 
2019, right? And we're sitting here this time last year, and we're saying, hey, Drew Locke looked pretty good in those five games he played. Didn't stay healthy, but he looks like he could have something. He could be a good quarterback. Well, now the Broncos are looking to replace Drew Locke, and that's where we are with Jalen Hurts. You just haven't seen enough to know. He played in four games, or started four games, played in 15 games, but you haven't seen enough from him to know that he's the franchise guy. So you need to see more. So I like what the Eagles are doing. Create that competition. If he is the guy, that's great. They have their franchise quarterback. If he's not, they're still looking for it, and perhaps they're one of the worst teams in the NFL and have a high pick next year, Mike, in the 2022 draft. Here's the other thing to remember, too. Defenses haven't seen enough of Jalen Hurts to develop the kind of game plan that would be aimed at what he does well, what he doesn't do, take away what he does best. Can he pivot to something else? That'll happen at some point this year. And if he wins a starting job, four, five, six games into the Nick Sirianni offense. Defenses should be in a position where they have enough film where they can find tendencies. They can spot trends. They can devise strategies for confounding and confusing Jalen Hurts and force him to step it up. And either he will or he won't, but we don't know about that either. But remember, there was the report earlier this offseason that the owner of the team, Jeffrey Lurie, wants the Eagles to let Jalen Hurts kind of have this year. It reminds me last year, Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Because I, I was a firm believer. Now, they kept the coach and the GM going into last year. But I said, hey, give them a year with the guy they found in the sixth round from Washington State. Give give that a year. You know, it worked well until it didn't. 1-0 from 1-0 to 1-15. But I feel like that's a similarity, at least as it relates to the quarterback. Give Jalen Hurts a year, just like Gardner Minshew got a year. And if it works, it works. If it works, great. If it doesn't, next year you deal with it and you see who you can find. And and remember, Deshaun Watson inevitably will be in play at some point. Unless he gets prosecuted and gets convicted and goes to prison. And all we know is there are multiple individuals who are speaking to police. There's no indication he's going to be indicted. There's no indication he's going to be tried criminally. Other than that happening, he's going to be available at some point. And the Eagles, I think, are one of the teams we need to seriously watch. And if it doesn't work out with Jalen Hurts, then next year, Shereen, they go get Deshaun Watson. And you think about extra They have an extra, extra first-round pick next year. They have an extra first-round pick per, yes. from that trade from 6 to 12. I was going to bring that up. That's right. But you think about, Mike, the, the Eagles, right? They draft Carson Wentz second overall in 2016. They think they have their franchise quarterback June of 2019, they gave him a four-year extension. They've got their franchise quarterback. Five years into his career, they've now traded him, and they're starting over. They're going to give Jalen Hurts a year to show that he can be the guy. Again, if he's not the guy, I think this is a team that's going to be drafting high in the first round next year. They probably go draft a quarterback, or they trade, as you said, for Deshaun Watson. I think these are two prime teams that we've talked about, the Dolphins and the Eagles, that if their quarterbacks don't work out, Tua and Jalen Hurts, at those respective places, these are two teams that definitely could be in that Deshaun Watson sweepstakes whenever it happens. Uh, Joe Burrow, the unquestioned starting quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals, he could use some help either at skill positions or at offensive line or Really, both. They've got the fifth overall pick in the draft. He spoke earlier this week uh, to Chris Collinsworth about the fact that he's not making any effort to try to persuade the Bengals to do any specific thing with that fifth overall pick. Here's Joe Burrow. 
I haven't offered up any strong opinion. Well, let me you know, give I'm you a couple friend. then. To, to <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm great friends with Jamar. We've been talking for a year since we stopped playing together. We talked, you know, last week. So I'm great friends with Jamar. I know the kind of player that he is, but I think we're in a great spot. I think a lot of the picks in front of us will be quarterbacks. Not sure how many of them, but I think a lot of them will be. So I think we're in a good spot to, to p- just take the best available, especially after the free agency that we had. We signed a lot of really good players, got a lot of help on defense, signed Riley Reef at tackle. He's going to help us a lot. Um, so we're, we're in a really good spot. And, you know, I trust the, the organization to do what they do and do their jobs and pick the best player. Hey, there's a chance it's going to be four for four quarterbacks before the Bengals pick at number five. They could have the de facto, as far as they're concerned, number one overall pick two years in a row because they weren't going to take a quarterback with one of the first four picks. This plays out perfectly for them, especially if the Atlanta Falcons go Trey Lance to follow Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones, assuming that's what the 49ers do. So this is great for the Bengals, but at some point you got to make a choice. And Shereen, I continue to believe they're better off with Penny Sewell. It's the safer choice. It's the way the Bengals have always seemed to be. They're going to be safe. They're going to be smart. And they need someone to protect Joe Burrow. And they had that bad experience with John Ross, ninth overall pick four years ago at receiver, the last guy taken before Patrick Mahomes. I think that makes them more inclined to go with a safer pick. And even though there have been busts at offensive tackle, most notably Tony Mandarich, but plenty of others as well, the bust rate traditionally has been lower for high-end tackles in the top 10. And if I'm Jamar Chase, I pick up the phone immediately when I see that quote, and I'm calling Joe Burrow and go, come on, man, what are you doing? Because you remember <laughs> last year, this really, this really stuck out to me, Mike. Last year, Kyler Murray pitched hard for cd lamb i want cd lamb let's go get cd lamb he's my guy cd lamb cd lamb cd lamb what is the harm in pushing for your guy it tells me that that he wants pene soul that's what it tells me he wants that left tackle they didn't protect him very well last year he got the knee injury he wants that addition to the offensive line that's going to give him more time he likes his receiving core that's what that told me, Mike, that he would prefer. Let's go with the big offensive tackle who's going to be really good for a really long time rather than, as you said, a receiver. There are plenty of receivers in this draft. If they need a receiver, then go get a receiver in the second round. But but their, their receiver core looks pretty good even if they don't add to it. Also a chance he's been paying very close attention to some of the issues that have popped up in other cities where starting quarterbacks have wanted to have greater involvement like a Russell Wilson and there's been arguments that maybe Aaron Rodgers should be more involved in picking personnel and maybe Burrow is just trying to create an early career firewall where that's not going to be the guy who I am at least not publicly because no matter what he says publicly he could be saying something else privately and he's decided it's better to just come off as a guy who knows his place and and he can always explain it to Jamar Chase later if and when the Bengals take uh, Penny Sewell and I think that's who they will take real quickly Sean Payton on the post Drew Brees era Payton talked about that earlier today here he is talking about the quarterbacks not named Drew Brees who will be competing to be the starter in 2021. And it's coming now. Here it is. The profile didn't change. Certainly, we're mindful of, of our depth at each position. Um, and 
you know, we're currently in our final board ratings on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah, I, I think relative to that position, though, it still stays the same. And, and traits that we're looking for, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's a, a must position. We feel like we've got real good players in the building. Hey, I know this. Whatever Sean Payton's thinking about doing in the draft, especially a quarterback, he ain't going to tell us. He's not going to give us anything that, that we could sink our teeth into. And the bottom line is we know they like Taysom Hill. We know they like Jameis Winston. I don't know why they'd be looking at drafting a quarterback. But four years ago, they were ready to pull the trigger at number 11 on Patrick Mahomes before they got jumped by the Chiefs. So if there's a guy that he loves, number one, he's not going to tell us. And number two, he's he'll be ready to move if he feels like he has the opportunity to do so. I just have so much faith in Sean Payton and what he can do. I think he's the best offensive coach in the league and has been for a really long time. And I think he'll make this work with these two guys. And I like what they've done post-Drew Brees, right? They've signed both of these guys. Uh, Taysom's case, it was a two-year deal that expires after this season. And Jameis, they gave him a one-year deal. So if neither of these guys works out, they're, they're not in a position like the Eagles were, like the Rams were, like other teams were, that you're trying to get rid of a high-priced guy, right? They can go out and they can trade for one of the quarterbacks who we know is going to become available, uh, Deshaun Watson, or if Aaron Rodgers becomes available, or if Russell Wilson's on the block. They can go out and try to get one of those guys. I would have loved to have seen Tom Brady this year. If he had been in free agency, he could have ended up in New Orleans as Drew Brees' replacement instead of going to Tampa if it was a year later than what it was. But I trust Sean Payton to find a quarterback. If it's not one of these guys, then after this season, they'll find a quarterback somewhere, whether it's in a trade or whether it's in the draft next year. But I think he'll find his quarterback uh, sooner rather than later, Mike. Way back when, he wanted his quarterback to be Tony Romo. When he became the coach of the Saints, tried to trade for Romo. The Cowboys said... No, thank you. Possibly with some profanity thrown in there by Bill Parcells. Now, Tony Romo turns 41. When we return, we're going to have a PFTPM draft inspired by quarterback Tony Romo. More PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, happy 41st birthday to Tony Romo, undrafted in 2003, four-time Pro Bowler, 34,000 passing yards, and now making almost as much money as the CBS lead color analyst as he was in his last football contract. Give me a team, Shireen, that could take Tony Romo and benefit from his presence right now at age 41. Ooh, there's two of them, and it's hard really to pick which one I want to go with, but... I'm going to go with the Broncos simply because they offered the most money coming out of college when when he was leaving school. Mike Shanahan offered him $20,000 to sign with the Broncos. He signed with the Cowboys instead because he looked at their roster and saw the quarterbacks on that roster, Quincy Carter, Chad Hutchinson, and Clint Sterner, and says, I can beat out those guys. I'm the guy. I'm going to Dallas. But the Broncos obviously could use him. They're looking for a quarterback. He could be better than what they have right now. I remember back in 2004, just the second or third year that we were operating PFT, somebody told me, there's this guy in Dallas that they really like named Tony Romo. And I said, who the hell is Tony Romo? Uh, So that was the first time I ever became aware of that name, because after that, I started paying attention. Next thing you know, he's the starting quarterback of the team. Who's the other team that you were going to say? Because I have a feeling it's not mine. Well, I was going to say the Texans, because he almost signed there instead of going to CBS. He almost played one more year and signed with the Texans. I'm going to say the Buccaneers because they don't have a backup other than Ryan Griffin, the guy who is best known for helping a drunk Tom Brady off the boat following the the uh, Lombardi parade back in February. But they, they could use they could use having somebody who's ready to come in and get it done. And he's four years younger or thereabouts, three years younger than Tom Brady, three and a half years younger than Tom Brady. So you have a backup who actually is younger than your starter in Tampa Bay, even if you sign 41-year-old Tony Romo. But I I just don't think he'd be a guy you want to put on the field every week because he does get banged up. And I assume that at age 41, he'd be even more likely to get banged up. But if something happens to Tom Brady and Tom Brady can't play a game or two, I'd much rather have Tony Romo than the other options that are available to the Buccaneers. So that's what I would do. Let's take a break. Uh, Before we do that, what what do you think about my idea? Do you like it or do you not like it? Uh, No, I do like that idea because I'm I'm with you. He couldn't play a full 17-game schedule, but if you needed him for a few games, I think he'd be great doing that. I don't think he ever could play a full 17-game schedule. That's part no. of the problem. And, and <laughs> hey, some guys are built differently than others. And he was – I remember when he had the back problems initially, Troy Aitman came out and said, I didn't retire at 33 or 34 because of concussions. People think that. I retired because of back issues. Once the back starts to go, you got a big problem. we got to take a break. Mailbag pops open when PFTPM continues right after this. That's Chad Johnson, 
at times known as Chad Ochocinco at the new Bengals uniform reveal. He looks like Shireen. He could suit well, we, we he definitely can suit up. We saw that part of it. He looks like he could get back on the field and play right now. And 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 I just wonder, there was some off field stuff that happened when he was in Miami. I feel like his career got short circuited before he was truly done. I wonder how much longer he could have gone. But he definitely looks like somebody who could go right now. He sure does, Mike. He's still in shape, and it's obvious he works out. And some of these guys you'd like to see if they could do it again for a game or two. I'm sure a lot of them at their ages couldn't do it for 17 games, as we said. But I bet a lot of these guys who are retired and still in shape could do it for two or three games. Drafted by the Bengals 20 years ago today in the 2001 draft. Let's answer a few questions. And on this subject of players who could still come out of retirement and get it done, Mike Morrell asks, who is one player you'd like to see come out of retirement who still has it? Now, I know Roger Staubach is the player you'd love to see come out of retirement, (laughs) but I think it's safe to say the window has closed on high-end abilities for Roger Staubach. But give me someone who you think could come back, who's been out of the game for a while and get it done. Well, Mike, I go straight to Calvin Johnson, right? The guy's 35 years old. I think he retired still when he was in his prime and still had something left and didn't take a huge beating in the NFL. I think Calvin Johnson could still come back and get it done in the NFL, and he's a guy who might even be able to play 17 games in a season. And I still reflect on how that ended with Calvin Johnson. They nudged him into retirement. I always said he should have held firm because they would have cut him because there were times I think he was – contemplating coming back, but the Lions held his rights, just like with Rob Gronkowski in New England. You have to do a deal. You have to give the Lions something to get Calvin Johnson, and I think that caused it to never really happen, whereas if he'd been cut like Julian Edelman was, you can sign with anybody anytime you want. I, I And I know this is unrealistic, but I'd, I'd love to see Terrell Owens back because I really do feel like he had – plenty of gas in the tank, and for whatever reason, no one wanted him around by the end of his career. But uh, I, I just, I'd, I'd love to see, I put, them, put them both on the field, 81 and 85, Ocho Cinco and Terrell Owens. Let's see what they could do, because I have a feeling that Owens would surprise us. He may not have, now you never had a great downfield speed, but he was tough, and he could, he could catch, and he could run routes, and he could make things happen, and I'd kind of like to see what Terrell Owens can do, although it probably is a little bit late for him. Les Kazrick, 17, who has more impact on the Steelers' recent relevance? Ben Roethlisberger, who's staying for one more year, we think, or Mike Tomlin, who's staying for at least four more years, given his contract extension that we talked about yesterday. Shereen, who's had more impact on what the Steelers have done? Well, I just go back to the Patriots. We were having this debate of is it Brady or is it Belichick, right? And and Brady goes with Bruce Arians, who had never won a Super Bowl, and, and suddenly the Bucks won a Super Bowl. Andy Reid was probably a Hall of Fame coach before the Chiefs won a Super Bowl, but it took Patrick Mahomes to win a Super Bowl. So where I'm going with this, I think it's always the quarterback. I think it's always about the quarterback. And you look at Troy Aikman winning a Super Bowl for Barry Switzer. I mean, you go through all the names, but I always think it's about the quarterback. I think you have to have a great quarterback to win in this league these days. In the past, maybe not so much, but these days, I just think you have to have the great quarterback. So I'm going to go with Big Ben on this one. I think in, I agree with you generally, but I think in this case it's Tomlin. I, I just think that Ben Roethlisberger is not the same kind of quarterback as the. the and I, I, look, this isn't a diss on Ben Roethlisberger. He's a great passer. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's won two Super Bowls. I just don't sense in him that same work ethic, that same leadership ability, 
Look, the stories have been there for years. I mean, before the stuff that went down in 2010, there were players on that team that just didn't care for the guy. And I think he did mature. But but I, I just I think that, he, you know, if you'd have sent him to Tampa last year and reunited him with Bruce Arians, his very close friend from Arians time with the Steelers, I don't think they win the Super Bowl. Brady, yes. Roethlisberger, no. I think if Roethlisberger would pick a team this year and go there, I don't think he'd be the difference. I think it's been more Tomlin Roethlisberger. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. In the past, he would have. Now, not so much with that elbow and with those legs. All right, that's it for this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Let me try that again. That's it for this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. See you tomorrow. Have a great evening. Thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.